Can you survive off a diet of only chips and salsa? How do you work out less when you already don't work out at all? <laughs> so relatable. Does anyone survive their 20s? I can tell you next July. Is it illegal to throw a cactus at someone? Should be. Don't try that at home. <laughs> Where do you find someone to pay to do your homework? For real though. Can you get fired for referring to your supervisor as an overlord in an email? <laughs> How do you write a dissertation in one week? Well, you don't. Why don't you try and see what happens? If you eat a cheeseburger while walking on a treadmill, does it balance out? Can professors throw water balloons at students who are falling asleep in class? Sure. <laughs> when do Nickelback tickets go on sale? Oh, I love the early 2000s. Um, not Nickelback, though. Can you keep squirrels as pets? Is it normal to sleep with your contacts in and your outfit for the next day just so you can get an extra 10 minutes of sleep? My sister used to do this. For someone who loves sleep like me, coming in. Is there an alternate universe where I know what I'm doing in life? <laughs> Does running away from adulthood count as cardio? These are hilarious. That is all from me. Over and out. <laughs> yeah, can we give our interns a round of applause? I mean, it takes a lot to just be silly like that in front of people, but... Okay, so if is Thanks for the extra clap. We're doing some great clapping today. Uh, so if you're, if you're just coming into this conversation with us, we have been talking about this concept we call asking for a friend, which is a very popular hashtag, and a hashtag is just like a comment on a comment, basically. And so people sometimes say, in, in, on, inter on the internet like Twitter or something like that, hashtag asking for a friend, which is a way of asking something you're embarrassed to talk about or something you don't want to confess and make it sound like it's actually for somebody else, right? Okay, so that's what the, the hashtag is about. We're, we're trying to talk about what it looks like for us to be honest and real with some of the stuff that's going on in our life and not, you know, proverbially use a hashtag asking for a friend, but actually say, hey, I'm asking for me. This is what's going on in my life. That's what this conversation is about. But I thought it would be funny to talk about the opposite hashtag of asking for a friend. Did you know there's an opposite hashtag? If asking for a friend is the kind of passive-aggressive one that doesn't want to actually deal with it, then the other one is hashtag real talk. All right, has anybody hashtag real talk? Okay, I do sometimes. Okay, so I brought some hashtag real talk ones for you. This one up here says, okay, I hate winter and all, but I'm so ready for all this pollen to be frozen so I can breathe and open my eyes in the morning. Hashtag real talk, hashtag Minnesota weather. Relatable, right? Okay, the next one says, I'm literally sitting, this is the one with the little picture, I'm literally sitting in the gym parking lot tweeting because I don't want to go in. But here I go, hashtag real talk. Up here with the, the little guy, today I've accepted a hard truth. I've always considered myself a Snoopy, but the truth is I'm really a pig pen, and even on my best days I'm just a Linus. Hashtag real talk. And then this one down here is relatable for some of you I know. Natalie says, apartment life is constant fear of never knowing who's moving in above you. Hashtag real talk. Anyone else? Some, how, has this been your life? Yeah, I know it is. I know some of you are like, oh, is there elephants living above me? What is happening? So the opposite of hashtag asking for a friend, I'm not really talking about myself, is hashtag real talk. This is me. I'm being real. 
And today I want to talk about this concept of what it looks like to have courageous conversations. And I don't mean on the internet, okay? <laughs> that can be another conversation. I mean, what does it look like to have courageous conversations sitting across from people? This is why I put this table up here. Sitting across from other people and having the courage to say the things that you need to say for the, the sake of who you are, who they are, and what God's calling you to be about in your life. And so I have a kind of definition that's up here for courageous conversations. The courage or bravery to start and stay present in life's most important conversations. To start these conversations and stay present in the most important conversations that we have in life. That's what I want to talk about today. Courageous conversations happen with our coworkers, with our family, with our friends, with our roommates, with uh, people that we lead, with people who uh, are leading us. Sometimes we have to have courageous conversations, right? There's really no relational aspect of life where we don't ever have to have courageous conversations, in my opinion. And I would say that courageous conversations are at the core of what it looks like for us to be people who follow Jesus. It's, it's a countercultural thing, if you think about it, in a world for us to be people who follow Jesus, to have the courage to say the things that need to be said, the truth spoken in love about ourselves or about what we see in other people's lives or the conversations between two people when reconciliation is needed. Those courageous conversations are kind of countercultural, if you think about it, in a world that tends to either avoid or have maybe more what we would call destructive conversations. At least that's my observation. And so we have this opportunity to be people who summon the courage. It doesn't mean we're not afraid, doesn't mean we're not nervous, but summon the courage to step into some of these conversations. Uh, and that leads to maturity, which is what our passage is going to talk about today. It leads to being people who are mature. I want to tell you that following Jesus is such an incredible invitation of love and mercy to all of us. But I would say that it's not really for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of heart because courage means it comes from the core word core or heart. It, it, it's big heartedness that we have to have if we're going to be people who follow after Jesus and the invitation that Jesus gives us because we have this incredible motivation to have these conversations and that is love. Paul says that God's love compels us, that the Jesus' love compels us to be people who step into what God's calling us to. And so that's what we want to talk about today. So I am going to ask you to be embracing the tension of this question while we're having this conversation. And that is, put that up there, what is one courageous conversation you could have this week? I'm really inviting you just to think about it the whole time. I'm not going to ask you to say it at the end or anything like that. And I love this quote from Dr. Brene Brown, courage is contagious. Daring leaders are never silent about hard things. I'd love for us to be a community where we have so much courage that it's contagious amongst all of us and the people that we spend our lives with. So today we're going to get a little bit practical. So right now um, Bryce has some, some sheets of paper. This is, um, we haven't done this for a while, but I want to call this a training Sunday, okay? Don't be nervous. It doesn't mean anything crazy except you're going to get a piece of paper. Um, training Sunday. It, it, instead of a, a sermon where you might leave feeling like that's interesting and on a good day for me, maybe a little bit inspiring, today what I want to talk about is how. How do we do this? Last week, we talked about how important it is to name some of these things so that we can go from the darkness into the light. But here we are now saying, okay, if we're going to do this, let's talk a little bit about how. So on one side of this piece of paper, we have a passage I want to look at today. It's long because I want you to take this with you and, and think about it a little bit further from today. Just meditate on it. But I'm going to talk through it today. And on the other side, I've got some just like very clear, hopefully, ideas of what it looks like for us to have courageous conversations. So that's what I mean by training Sunday, okay? We're going to talk about how we do this because oftentimes that's a big barrier, isn't it? Not knowing how. You also got a little sheet when you came in for prayer requests. So if you haven't 
filled that out yet, if you do have a prayer request, we've just got our prayer team on high alert to pray during this time. If people are going to be honest and name some of the stuff going on in their life, then we know that it's only possible for us to really have freedom in Jesus, and we need to, to pray for each other for that freedom to happen. So you can fill that out. You can put your name. You don't have to put your name. You can ask for someone to follow up with you. But here's the thing. We commit our prayer team and our staff team commit to pray for these requests and to keep them confidential for you. So please, please be willing to fill that out. And when, when we have communion later, there's some buckets you can put those prayer requests in. We will hold those with confidence and we will commit to praying for those things for you. Okay, so when I thought about this idea of having courageous conversations, I immediately went in my brain to like 25 different places in scripture, okay? And then I landed on Ephesians 4, uh, the second part of Ephesians 4, and then just a little bit into Ephesians 5. Because this, if you've been at Mel City for a while, this has really shaped who we are as a community, this passage. In fact, we, um, our membership covenant that I'd love for those of you to hear about if you're not a covenant member yet, has a lot of influence from this passage, Ephesians 4. And I think it makes sense because this is from the Apostle Paul and many people say he's writing to the church in Ephesus. But what I think we know now as scholars have studied the book of Ephesians is that rather than it being a letter from Paul, he's in prison actually when he's writing this, Rather than it being a letter from Paul to just the church in Ephesus, that most scholars think now Paul was writing this letter with the hopes that it would be circulated to all the churches. It's kind of like his sermon to the churches, his words to all the churches, and we're pretty sure it was designed to go from church to church to church to encourage them. And many people say that even though Paul wrote this entire letter while he was in prison, it's the most encouraging letter that he writes to these people, which I just think is fascinating, right? He's in prison. Um, as he goes through the book of Ephesians, there's a number of things that are issues of the day that are happening in the first century that he covers. He covers the fact that people are putting their faith in pretty much anything but God. Uh, he talks about things like uh, astrology, political leaders, people are leaning towards those things. Paul talks about the effects of evil and how they're, the brokenness in the world and how it's affecting humans and how it's affecting how we engage with each other. Uh, he talks about ethnic tensions. Paul's talking about divisions that happen in the church. And there's even a section that's talking about how there's a disagreement about how they interpret an ancient text in the Torah. I just hear this stuff and I go, man, is that not just a letter written right into today? So many of these things are our life and our realities. And so I just want to go through kind of chunk by chunk through this passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read it and then we're just going to talk through it kind of training-wise. And so what I want to encourage you is as you look at it, I put some little headers on the top. Um, those are mine. Those aren't in the Bible. I wrote those, and I had some help from Ralph Martin who wrote a commentary that was really helpful for me. And I think if it were me, I would say this is the main point, the headers are the main point of each of this part, okay? So we're just going to go one by one through each of these sections. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll have it up on the screen, but you got it with you. So the first part, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if the header is the path to maturity as a community, we see the path is accept the gifts you have and use those gifts that God has given you for the sake of unity. Notice not uniformity or sameness or being just like everyone else, but unity in the midst of diversity. Because unity in diversity, according to Paul, is maturity. The ability to have unity in diversity, and the only way for that to happen is if you are filled with the fullness of Christ. 
Guys, we have to be open to that. We've got to be open to whatever it is that God wants to show us. If we aren't filled with God's love for us, we can't let that express to other people. I always think of it as, if I'm not so full of the love that God has for me, then it won't overflow on my life to the people around me. The fullness of Christ. The next section I called, building up the body of Christ through love and truth. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Let me stop there. No longer be infants. Normally it doesn't say, notice that it doesn't say, but now you need to become mature adults, right? There's something in between infants and adults, right? It's children, kids, God's kids. Paul actually uses the term children later. And, And I say that because sometimes when we think of adulting, It's kind of a funny joke all the time now. Oh, I have to adult. I have to make sure I still have life insurance and car insurance and all the things. The thing is, is that Paul's here saying, we just don't want you to be babies, okay? (laughs) What we want you to do is to figure out how to be a big kid. Why? Because big kids can tell the difference between what's true and what's a lie. Deceit, lies. As you grow up, you start to know, right? As a little kid, people can tell you anything when you're really little. And when you're an infant, you just got to go with it. But as you get to be a big kid, You start to learn, now that's not true, but this is good. This is not, and you start to step towards those things. And I think this is what Paul is encouraging people to do. And then he says, instead of being a baby, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. There it is, the courageous conversation. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become every respect of the mature body. Hear the word maturity again. Of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I am somebody who has heard this metaphor of the church as the body of Christ for a long time, but there's two things that I always missed that just recently have stuck out to me. The first is, you notice how it says that Jesus is the head, the head that is Christ? Well, in first century, head wasn't something that you would use to talk about like a head of an organization or like a CEO, right? We say that all the time. Oh, the head of, the head of, Apple, the head of whatever, right? That's the CEO, the head, the leader. In first century, head didn't mean leader. Actually, Paul's just being literal. Like he's saying like a head and a body. And it, you know, excuse the metaphor, but if you decapitate the body, a little Halloween for you, right? Okay, this week. All right, if you decapitate the head from the body, the body's dead. That's what Paul is saying. He's not saying try to let Jesus lead you more, which is also good. He's saying you can't be alive if you are separated from Jesus. He's actually making a bolder statement than, than merely the idea that Jesus is the leader, which is also true. But here he's saying, you need the head to be able to be the body. And then the second thing that I always missed is right there in verse 16, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Joined and held together by every supporting ligament. I always heard this and I thought, if I was gonna be a part of this metaphor, which part of the body do I want to be? Maybe I want to be an elbow. Those are funny. And maybe I want to be a kneecap or, a, you know, like as a kid, they'd be like, what part of the body would you be? And I missed this concept of the ligaments. So a ligament, I think we, we mostly know this, but I brought a diagram. So a ligament is what connects bone to bone, right? It's what holds the pieces of the body together. And Paul makes it pretty clear what that is. It's later in that verse. It's love. Love ligaments. I'll put that up on the screen. Isn't that the cheesiest thing? You're going to remember it, though. We need to have love as the ligament that holds us together. This summer, I played on a kickball team. Has anybody played recreational kickball? All right, because it's really dangerous. We had broken bones. I'm not kidding you. And at one point, I'm standing at second base. I'm ready for the ball. And instead of catching the ball, I catch the runner. 
right into my hand, okay? And so my pinky just, you know, does a little weird bend. And the next day, I'm like, my pinky is killing me. I probably broke it. I broke all the little bones in my pinky. That's how bad it hurt. Okay, I didn't break any bones in my pinky. Do you know what I did? I strained the ligament. And so all summer long, the whole summer, I'm like in pain because of this little tiny ligament in my pinky. It like affected my whole life. You know why? Because this is the finger you use to push enter on your computer. <laughs> and I wrote a ton this summer. Some of you know I spent a lot of this summer writing. And so it was just like, oh, yeah, I'm really feeling it. Ow. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is so interesting. Oh, I'm loving this. Ow. And then backspace, backspace. Ow. And it was just the worst, okay? Because of this little tiny ligament being strained. You guys, this is the reality of our lives. When we are the body held together by ligaments and love is strained, we can't stay together. And it's painful. And even if it's little things, it throws us off, doesn't it? If the ligament that holds the body together is love, if that's what we need in our life, and Christ's love that compels us to love each other, we've got to focus on this. Because our little, little pinkies, are, we're, we're useless without ligaments that hold it together because it's so strained. And I think about our lives, and I think we have some straining happening when it comes to this. Okay, let's continue on here a little bit into this next part. The next part I called, what is at stake for our mission if we lack courage, love, and truth? I think that's what Paul's saying. Hey, listen, this is what's at stake, starting in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do. And he means people who are not following God in this instance. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in the understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Okay, I, I get a little lost in Paul's language right here, to be completely honest. Uh, futility, it's not a word that I'm like, oh, I, it's not something that I say often that people are in the futility of their thinking. Like, it's just not part of my language. But I, so I looked into it. I'm like, what is the futility of their thinking? Here what Paul is saying is people are being insensitive to what is good. People are being insensitive to other people. People are being indifferent to what is going on in the world around them. It sounds to me like apathy, right? And then it says when they do that, they get a hard heart. They, they're not a hard heart, not sensitive to what's going on in their own life or in the lives of the people around them. And that's going to lead them to pursuing sensuality and indulgence. It's going to lead them to be always searching for more and never feeling like you have enough. And when I think about it that way, I'm like, I can see that in myself. I can see this, this always wanting more. There's always something else. I'm distracted and I'm not paying attention to what's going on in my heart and on in the hearts of the people right around me and going on in the world that God loves. This indifference, this insensitivity. And so this is what is at stake that we become insensitive to ourselves, our own feelings and what's going on. Insensitive to other people and insensitive to the world that God loves. And that's kind of a lot that's at stake here. And so then the rest of the passage goes on with these contrasts of the old life and the new life in Christ. And I think what's pretty clear here is that Paul is suggesting that it's not like the old life is gone and the new life comes, but that like we know, Jesus says, I am making all things new. It's a process, right? It's a process that as we let God's love into our life, we become, we're being renewed constantly. And so what Paul's doing here is showing the difference between the old life and the new life in a, in a few different ways, okay? So let's read through it. So you can see he's saying 
this is a new transition because in verse 20 he says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. That insensitivity and not being aware of what's going on around you. Verse 21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, what we just talked about, that wanting more all the time, never being satisfied, and you put on this new self to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to be putting on this new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me give you a good definition for righteousness and holiness there. Righteousness and holiness, becoming awake to the things of God around you, what God says is the right things that are, that are making the wrong things right. I was researching this and it said the word awakening. When we step into holiness and righteousness, we're not perfect, we don't have it all figured out, we are now trying to be aware of the things that are not good, the things that are broken, and God's restoration project. The things that we're separated from, our relationship with God, and how Jesus wants to reconnect us. That's what this is about. Verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. There it is again, right? Courageous conversation. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. I think what Paul's saying here is it's okay to be angry. Sometimes we're angry with ourselves, with God, with injustice. But it's not okay not to do anything about that anger. Do you notice this? It's okay to have this anger, but you need to do something. You need to have that conversation. You need to step towards it because what happens if you don't allow God to use that anger for righteousness? The enemy uses it for evil. That's very clear here. You guys, I don't want to be precious about this. We have an enemy who does not want us to have courage. We have an enemy who's like, what I want to pick for all these people is cowardice. Cowardice, avoidance, and destructive conversations. If you don't think that's real, like, I don't know, I just see it all the time. This enemy wants us to step away from courage and towards cowardice. But whatever we're feeling, all of our emotions are valid, but we can't just sit in them. we got to take the step forward and do the next thing that we know is for the good of other people, as it says here. And then it says don't steal. So if you're stealing things, let's try not to do that, right? But I do think, like, are we sometimes stealing from other people when we know that our gift to them would be to have this conversation that's hard to have? Are we stealing from our relationships when we know that we're not being completely vulnerable with the people who know us best? And also don't steal items from Target. Okay, finally, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every force of mal for, form of malice. Instead, right, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then I just added at the bottom just a few verses later. For you were once for, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. All right, you see the contrast there. 
those negative emotions come up. But we need to deal with them so we can take on kindness and compassion and forgiveness. I love that phrase, walking in the way of love. I love the idea of living as children of light. Guess what? We can't force anyone else to do that in our life. We can't make somebody else walk in the way of love or live as children of light, but we have a choice for ourselves about what we're going to do. And I love that it says walk in the way of love because it makes it so clear that love is a verb. It is an action. It's something that we have to choose to step into. It doesn't make it easy, but it's something that we need to choose to step into. So I think when we want to grow in courage, so if anyone's going like, okay, but you don't understand, Pastor Steph, this conversation I need to have is really hard. One of the best things you can do when you need to grow in courage is to try to get clarity. Sometimes I've heard people say, clarity brings confidence and confidence brings courage. Doesn't mean you're not scared or afraid, but you have the courage to know what you need to do. So if you turn the sheet of paper around, this is why I made this little sheet for you. We actually have a digital copy on millcitychurch.com backslash training I wrote at the bottom. Now when you look at these things, I realize it can be a little bit cheesy, okay? Like I get that. But sometimes you just need a line to get it started, right? You can put this into your own words. But these are some phrases that I have genuinely used, okay? This is why I wrote them down for you. And some of these ideas came from Brene Brown and another author, M. Scott Hughes. Um, but the important thing to recognize is prayer needs to be a part of this process. You've got to be praying before, during, and after these conversations. God is present with us in these things, no matter what the outcome, because you can't control the outcome, right? Prayer is an important part. And I do want to say, in reference to our conversation last week, I'm never going to ask anybody to step into a conversation where it could be abusive, right? That is, that's never the goal. That's not courageous. That's not what we're talking about. Courage in that instance is getting help. Courage in that instance is getting someone else to come alongside you. Sometimes any of us need to think about, okay, does someone else need to help us mediate? Sure. Uh, we might need to think about, do we need to talk this over with a therapist or a counselor? Awesome. Millcitychurch.com backslash care. We've got an awesome list of Christian counselors, Okay. But at the end of the day, there's just some practical things sometimes, just getting it started. We might have to have these conversations in our work relationships, our family relationships, our friendships I put here at the top. Recognize that it's 360 degrees. Sometimes we have to have conversations up with leaders or parents, right? Sometimes we have to have it down with those that we lead or with our kids or people that you mentor. And often we need to have these conversations across with people that are friends and partners of ours, right? So... Here's the different types of courageous conversations. You can read them. I like the word care-fronting. This is a cheesy Sunday. Did you, it's a training Sunday. It's also a cheesy Sunday. You're welcome. But I just, I mean, because con-fronting, con means bad, right? Care-fronting, I love you and so I'm talking to you, okay? Courageous conversation starters. You can read through some of them. Um, the last one is one that me and my husband just used this summer. We're struggling and we need to have a truth-telling talk. Would you be willing to listen to us? All right, we've been married for a year and a half, a little over a year and a half. We made it. Everyone was like, the first year, so hard, so hard, right? Didn't everybody tell us that? Not hard. First year was fine. As soon as we started the, year, the beginning of year two, oh, <laughs> these conversations. And it, it, it has been a lot. And we've been really going for it and having those hard conversations. But after like a couple months of that, we just felt like we're sitting in our living room, like, like the lights are out and we're in the dark. That's how heavy it felt. And we were like, we need to just tell this truth to somebody else. So we called the Larsons, who are some of our best friends, and we said, hey, can we, just, can we take you out to dinner? We'll pay for a babysitter. We just need to tell you the truth. And so there's better conversations you can have over tacos than the conversation that we had. 
But you guys, it was so helpful for them just to hear the wrestling that we've been doing and how hard it was for us. They didn't even really give us a lot of advice. They just listened to us. And from that dinner on, it's been so much easier for us to walk in the light and be children who are walking in the light and be people who are walking in love. That's just been so much easier. But we had to have that conversation. In fact, I think it was a text message. It was like, hi, can we have a truth-telling dinner? Here's what that is, please. And it was so helpful. And we're so appreciative to them. And we would do the same thing for them. But it took a lot of humility for us to admit that because we were like, maybe we're not like any other couple. Your one was awesome. Yeah, no. Okay, then there's courageous conversation sustainers. Sustainers, meaning you get in the middle of a conversation and you might need to say things like, okay, wait, can you help me understand this better? Or would you be willing to hear my perspective on what you just shared? Um, Or things like, let me try that again because you feel like you weren't totally understood. And then the last one, sometimes you just need to take a break and come back to the conversation. And then there's finally the courageous conversation follow-up. Now, I understand, this is not your words, but say these things in your own words. Things like, that was a difficult conversation we had the other day. I'm really thankful that you had that with me. Or, I've been thinking about some things since we had the last conversation. Would you be willing to dialogue more about that? Because otherwise, we can just get hit in a wall, right? I know this seems kind of like super simple compared to some of the things you guys are facing, but this kind of clarity can really help us. I know it's helped me before you go into one of these conversations. You can't script it. And guess what, guys? You don't know what the outcome's going to be. I have to be honest with you and tell you, you can have the most courage as you can going into a conversation and the outcome might not be good. I I think there's a percentage of the conversations where the relationship gets better or you feel better because you shared something that you're struggling with. There's like another percentage where it stays the same. And then I think it's a relatively small, but there is a smaller percentage where it gets worse. Sometimes it's worse so that it gets better, but sometimes it just gets worse. But here's what I really believe from my experience. If there is a courageous conversation that needs to be had, almost 100% of the time, if you don't have it, it's gonna be worse. You see the math there? So the odds are in your favor to try to have the conversation. I have just witnessed and heard about endless amounts of these conversations. And whenever it needs to happen and it doesn't, it almost always gets worse. But you can't control the outcome. You need to trust God in it and you need to step into those spaces. We're going to have a class in Equipping Hour called Courageous Conversations, so just want to give a plug for that. Me and Tim Herzog are going to lead it if you want to just talk through some stuff like that. Um, But we'll have the band come back up. I think the two questions for us at the end of this training Sunday is are we going to walk in the way of love and are we going to live as children of light? Because if we are, we need to relentlessly pursue Jesus in our life to help us do that. We're going to end with communion like we do every Sunday. And this practice is so perfect because it reminds us that, guess what, we're just kids. We're just God's kids. None of us will ever get to full adulting in our faith. I I hate to break it to you. At the end of the day, we're children of God, just trying to figure it out. We're never going to get it all right. We can just do the best we can. Just like we tell our kids, just do the best you can. And so when we come to this table, we're saying Jesus is the one who had to give his life and conquer death so we could have access to the love that God has for us so that we can try to have this courage. That love that fills our hearts is what makes us have big hearts and be big-heartedness. That is what courage is. And so as you come, we just form two lines here, and you'll take the gluten-free bread, and you'll dip it into the cup, and then there'll be people who are here to pray for you. And, and what we're doing is just responding to the invitation that Jesus gave us. My body has been broken for you. My blood has been shed for you so that you can receive my love, and it can overflow in the truth and the love that needs to be spoken over other people in your life. It's as simple as that. 
So when you're ready, come and we'll continue in worship. But just think about just releasing that conversation you know you need to have. Release it to Jesus in this time and ask for that guidance from the Holy Spirit as you step into the rest of your week.